Welcome to the Queue for Two, your podcast companion for learning all about your favorite theme park attractions. Whether listening at home or while waiting in the queue, we'll fill you in on all the information you need to get the most out of your ride experience. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me as always is the one, the only, Matthew. Today, we're talking about the history and hidden secrets behind my favorite ride in Disney's Fantasyland, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Now, Matthew, you've certainly partaken in a smackerel of honey with the silly old bear himself on this ride, now haven't you? I can't believe we are starting this podcast with an amazing ride that is uh, Pooh in Fantasyland. Uh, Yes, to answer your question... I have ridden it, not my favorite ride, but it is yours. And that is what I love about you, my friend. (laughs) When it comes to Fantasyland, none hits for me like the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Being a small, young lad of the 90s at what some would call the renaissance of Winnie the Pooh, (laughs) I was all about it. We're talking new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Book of Pooh, all the old Pooh movies. And getting to see Pooh and Tigger in person and then also like get on this ride and see all these characters come to life. One of the most magical things from my childhood, for sure. No, I I definitely agree with you there. It's it's definitely we wrote it one of the last times I think Kendra and I went and it was one as an adult, like seeing the magic on kids eyes. I didn't really have a lot of Winnie the Pooh in my life, you know, growing up. So it wasn't that big of a nostalgia for me, but I'm still excited to hear about all the history and everything we're about to get into. But like you said, seeing the magic on those kids eyes and like seeing, you know, not in a creepy way, but (laughs) seeing the kids (laughs) light up and especially in the queue, like the queue is awesome. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. But I'm excited to learn more about it from uh, the resident Pooh expert on this podcast. Well, and I think it was fun in the process of researching this episode. There was a ton that I did not know about this ride. And so I am really excited to share all of that. And as it will enrich my experience on going on the ride next time, I hope it will too enrich yours. Well, we don't want to get stuck in honey, so let's just jump on in. (laughs) All right, Matthew, are you ready to dive in to the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh? (laughs) Let's do it. All right. So I want to start us off with talking about some of the ride's history. Now, our story for this ride from my research best begins long before the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh was even a gleam in an Imagineer's eye. I want you to indulge me for a minute as we start at the very beginning with some fascinating history that can help us better understand the origins of this great ride. Winnie the Pooh made his public debut in December of 1925 in the first of several short stories published by A.A. Milne in the London Evening Post based on a stuffed bear named Edward, owned by his own son, drumroll please, Christopher Robin. Wow. Christopher Robin was actually a real person that was A.A. Milne's own son. And so these stories were illustrated by Ernest Howard Shepard, who was also known for his illustrations on The Wind in the Willows. Now, one fun fact that I found. So we know that this stuffed bear named Edward that was A.A. Milne's son's bear was the inspiration for Winnie the Pooh. 
Matthew, have you ever heard of another source of inspiration for Winnie the Pooh before? Um, I can't say that I have. Honestly, you've already blown my mind, so I, I'm at a loss. So this blew my mind as well, because it wasn't just that bear Edward that was inspiration for Winnie the Pooh. When Ernest Shepard was actually making the illustrations for Winnie the Pooh, the illustrations were based on a stuffed bear that his own son had named Growler. Now, unfortunately, Growler has been lost to history. I believe it was uh, eaten by a dog, if I remember right. So there are only pictures of Growler that exist. Not only these two stuffed bears, but a real black bear at the London Zoo was the inspiration for the name. <laughs> oh, God. Winnie the Pooh was named after a black bear named Winnie that A.A. A. Milne's son, Christopher Robin, liked to visit. And so this bear tragically passed away in 1934, but lives on in the name of Winnie the Pooh. So where does Pooh come from? Do we know? <laughs> Did they just make that up? <laughs> so in one final origin for the name of the silly old bear, Pooh actually comes from a pet swan that Christopher Robin had when he was a kid. And A.A. A. Milne actually wrote about this swan in the book of poems that he wrote called When We Were Very Young. And he says, quote, this is a very fine name for a swan, because if you call him and he doesn't come, which is a thing swans are good at, then you can pretend that you were just saying poo to show how little you wanted him. <laughs> okay, I love it. That is that is insane. Who knew that so much, like, you think just like some random guy was just like, oh yeah, Winnie the Pooh. It's like, do you think like, you know, when they wrote Spider-Man that um, they were just like, oh, Peter Parker, you know, did they know a Peter? Did they know Peter? And probably, I'm probably just talking out of my butt right now. But that's interesting that they're, they can tie that back so far. Of <laughs> this bear, this, this kid, this real bear, it's insane. For sure. I think the origins and names are fascinating. And like the fact that Winnie the Pooh is this conglomeration of essentially three different bears. I just had to share. I yeah. had to kick the episode off with that because that blew my mind looking up facts about this ride. <laughs> but so as these stories were written and these short stories were collected into volumes, four volumes specifically, these books have sold like crazy. Since they have been published, they have never been out of print. They've sold over 20 million copies and have been translated into over 50 different languages. These same stories were actually a favorite of Walt Disney's daughters, and Disney eventually decided to acquire the rights to these stories in 1961, with Walt himself seeing their potential in the Disney vault, thinking about how Winnie the Pooh could be ushered into the Disney family. Now, where we really start getting into some of the origins of this ride. Once the rights were acquired, Disney started with short films, the first short film that was made in 1966 called Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree was a huge hit. And so they made two other short films, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day and Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, following with equally tremendous success. Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day even won the Academy Award in 1968 for the best animated short film. And it was the only Winnie the Pooh production to date to win an Academy Award. Oh. Now, Matthew, did you know that Winnie the Pooh himself was an Academy Award winning bear? No, I didn't uh, know that. Would you, did he give a speech? Did like someone get up and was like, 
Oh, I'm Pooh. <laughs> Give a speech. What are we talking here? I would love if somebody in a Winnie the Pooh costume attended the Academy Awards and accepted the award as the silly old bear himself. That would be tremendous. Oh, you think someone at least had to animate it where someone at least had to sit down and was like, oh, we're going to animate Pooh's speech. And it didn't go anywhere, but it's like, man, that would have been insane. So all three of these short films were actually later compiled into a feature motion picture in 1977 titled, wait for it, (gasps) The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Oh my God, they sprung that on us like it's nothing. (laughs) So the name definitely parallels the ride and what you're able to see in the ride is so many nods to these original short films that essentially a conglomeration of them make up the plot to the ride that you're able to experience on the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Matthew, I have a question for you. Hit me. Do you know the last film ever released that Walt Disney personally worked on? Uh, I'm going to guess it was Winnie Pooh. Winnie Pooh. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh's Big Adventures 2. Big Adventures 2. That's the one. Classic Winnie the Pooh's Big Adventures 2. We got a Winnie the Pooh stand joining me on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I found this really interesting. Walt Disney passed away on December 15th, 1966. A lot of people say that Jungle Book was actually the last project that was released that Disney personally worked on that came out in October of 1967. But technically, since this conglomeration of the three short films came out in 1977 as a film and Walt Disney worked personally on Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree and also had a hand on Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day, technically... Some say that this is regarded as the last film that he ever worked on. We got him with a loophole, boys. We got him with a loophole. And see, I don't know how I feel about that. I would be interested, any of our listeners, which do you think? Do you think it's Jungle Book or The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh that you would regard as the last film that Walt Disney ever personally worked on? Drop us a comment. I would love to see your opinions. And tell me if you've seen Winnie the Pooh's Big Adventures too. It's definitely out there. Make sure that you've seen that one. You got to catch up on the lore, obviously. Coming to a theater near you. (laughs) (laughs) But that deep dive into history with Winnie the Pooh, I want to dial us back closer to the modern day, getting closer to the ride, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Around the time of the 90s was a huge time for resurgence of Winnie the Pooh. Essentially, there were a lot of additions to the Winnie the Pooh collection since that time of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Just to name a couple, thinking about things that I loved as a kid, you've got the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, you've got the book of Pooh, you've got the Tigger movie. Honestly, hype around Winnie the Pooh at Disney World and Disneyland was a huge thing. In my research, I actually ran across um, Pooh actually ran for public office against Captain Hook in Main Street. Oh, no. You can actually find the campaign posters and stuff online. Like it was a huge like thing that was actually happening. So, of course, in the middle of all this hype about Winnie the Pooh, there were attractions considered for Winnie the Pooh as early as the 1970s in Disneyland. 
Essentially, when they were thinking about renovations to Fantasyland at that time, they had an attraction kind of lined up for Winnie the Pooh, but it essentially never came to fruition and was replaced with Pinocchio's Daring Journey. Flash forward again to the 90s, Winnie the Pooh ride was considered in the early 1990s as well as an addition to Toontown over at Disneyland. And this essentially, from what I can gather, would have been basically another version of the teacups, but with honeypots instead as like a Winnie the Pooh themed teacups ride. But this ride also never came to fruition, and it was actually said to have been replaced with Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin that was kind of loosely based on the same ride design. Also in my research, I came across something saying that there should have been a light boat attraction that was considered in the late 90s, but that idea was also scrapped. So there were all these opportunities for Winnie the Pooh rides at Disneyland that just never came to fruition. But finally, in 1998, the decision was made for Walt Disney World to replace Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, a classic attraction based on The Wind in the Willows, which you might remember as another source of illustrations for Mr. Shepard, who animated and drew the illustrations for the original Winnie the Pooh. Oh my god, it's all connected. He's basically got one of his properties trumping another one of his properties with the ride takeover. <laughs> I don't know if that's better or worse for you. As a, like a creator like that, it's like, are you happier or not? Or do you even care? You know, it's like, oh. It's got to be a weird thing to see to have essentially one of like your children replaced by another one of your children. Right. So my kid was a star student of that grade. And then the next year, my next kid like overshadowed them. It's like something like that. Or maybe he's just sitting on his fat check somewhere and it's just like, I don't care. <laughs> true, true. But essentially, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride was going to be replaced with a new Winnie the Pooh attraction at Magic Kingdom at Disney World. So there were a lot of renovations that happened, including an expansion of the original building that took about a year. And the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh opened up to the public in June of 1999. While fans of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride were disappointed with the ride closure, there were plenty of Winnie the Pooh fans, such as a four-year-old version of myself, that were <laughs> pumped for this new experience coming to Disney World. In the early 2000s, there were actually even reports of some of the characters riding with guests on some of the slower days for the attractions. Now, Matthew, how cool would it be to ride this ride with the one, the only, Tigger himself? See, you went for Tigger I think I would love to ride with Eeyore because just picture Eeyore sitting there and, you know, you're going by and he just can't even grin. He's just so sad. And something about that beautiful donkey would just make it oh so much better. <laughs> Man, with Tigger, though, it's going to be bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 fun. Oh, man, it's going to be so fun. But Eeyore, he's going to level you out a little bit. You know, you're going to be screaming. You're going to be excited. Eeyore's going to like level you out. And it's just going to be, you're going to bliss through the whole ride. You're going to have a great ride. I, I think riding with Eeyore would be quite the experience. <laughs> and you go right by his home on the way into the attraction. So you could just pick him up from home and tell him to join you. <laughs> or kick him out of the car and make him go home. Aw, <laughs> poor Eeyore. I guess I'm hitchhiking again. <laughs> well, Matthew, are you ready to jump into the official ride description and go on the journey that is the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh? I'm ready! Be swept away by a gust of wind with Gopher, Piglet, Eeyore, Kanga, and Roo before sliding into Owl's house. 
bob up and down with Tigger during a hide-and-seek adventure, enter a dream world where singing heffalumps and woozles spring up and down. It's a delightful romp through scenes and songs made famous in the classic Disney film Winnie the Pooh. Which they don't have the actual name right in so many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, but anyway. Oh, man. Before saying goodbye to your new friends, celebrate with Pooh as he finally gets his paws on what he's been searching for. And it doesn't, it leaves it there, but we all know it's that sweet, sweet honey. Oh, yeah. And Matthew, that part with Winnie the Pooh at the end where he actually gets his honey, that part of the ride is based on Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree while the rest of the ride, for the most part, is based on the Academy Award-winning film Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. That's what I was wondering, because I was trying to remember a little bit, and I don't remember those films as well, but I do remember those specific parts uh, when we wrote it not that long ago. So that is interesting that they sort of took some parts and pieces from all of them. Well, and there have been criticism by some writers of the attraction that say that the story is disjointed because they kind of mishmashed a lot of different parts from some of the plots of Winnie the Pooh, but overall writing it, I like the story to me flows reasonably well. Like it is a mishmash of different parts, but I don't think it jumps out to me as horribly disjointed. Right. One of the other things that's kind of fun about this attraction too, during the ride, you can also notice the dynamics of your honeypot vehicle change to fit the situation in the actual attraction. So like when we were talking about when you're with Tigger, the vehicles kind of go up and down like they're bouncing. Oh. And during the flood, the vehicles kind of move like they're floating in water. So those are kind of subtle things that the attraction also adds in to kind of help with the immersion that I think is cool as well. That's a really cool point that you bring up because it's one of those, like you said, when you say subtle, it's like I can picture it now and I remember them doing that, but I didn't even really like my brain registered in the back enough that I remembered it, but it wasn't one that I'm like, oh, this is cool because like you said, it's super immersive and that's 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 a really cool point. Yeah, it's really subtle, but it adds a lot to the attraction and like you said, helps with the immersion that I think is a lot of fun. And when you're talking about immersion too, I think it's fun going into the ride when we talk about the actual queue for the attraction. They added a lot of features in 2010 with the expansion of New Fantasyland to really make it feel like you're kind of in the Hundred Acre Woods going into Winnie the Pooh's world. Because you've got the fun activities in Rabbit's Garden, you've got the painting with the honey on the virtual screens, and you can even visit the homes of Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. I'm really glad that you brought up the queue because honestly, that is like one of my favorite parts. I love when queues at Disney are like super immersive. Well, anywhere immersive, but Disney is the king of it. And I specifically remember... I'm an adult and I was still like jealous of these kids, like playing with all like the playground stuff. I'm like, man, they got so much cool stuff. And then you get like near the end and they've got like the honey wall that you can actually like draw on and like do everything. So, yes, I tell me more about this queue if you've got anything else, because I love the queues and especially the one at Pooh, because that was super immersive. We do have some fun facts about some Easter eggs in the queue that we can talk about a little later in the episode. I love Rabbit's Garden with like the little gophers and everything popping up. I think it's just a really fun touch. Mm -hmm. But I will say for anybody that's going to be waiting in this queue, beware if you already have the brewings of a headache, because man, those melon and pumpkin drubs can be a killer if kids are just going to town. <laughs> on those. And they will. They 100% will. No matter what time of day that you're in line, they will be banging on those drums. Oh, yeah. If you build them, they will come and they will bang on the drums. 
No, but I think that expansion did a lot for the ride. Because if you keep guests entertained in the queue, the time is going to fly by while you're in the queue a lot quicker. And I would also be remiss if I didn't mention as well, as most rides do, this one does end in a gift shop. And with the same expansion, the gift shop changed from the name Pooh's Thoughtful Spot to what I think is the far superior 100 Acre Goods. Oh, that's I didn't even realize that was the name. That's perfect. It's perfection. I love it. I would also be remiss if I didn't close out our history section with just giving a brief shout out to other iterations of the attraction around the world. So just kind of running through these in chronological order, in 2003, Disneyland finally got its own similar version of the attraction, which replaced the Country Bear Jamboree at Disneyland. Hong Kong in 2005 and Shanghai in 2016 also received versions of the attraction with their respective openings of each park. One that's really interesting, though, there is a similar attraction at Tokyo Disneyland called Pooh's Honey Hut that opened in the year 2000. I'm not going to do a deep dive into this attraction in this episode because that would just be kind of getting off the rails a little bit too much. But this attraction is unique in that it has a similar story that the ride follows, but the animatronics are a lot more advanced and the ride also uses a trackless ride system. And fun fact about that, this is actually the first Disney ride in the world to use the trackless ride system technology. Oh, man. I found super fascinating because, Matthew, you probably know the trackless ride system is getting more and more popular now with a lot of rides like Rise of the Resistance and the Ratatouille ride at Disney World. And so it's interesting to see that its origins actually sit with Winnie the Pooh. Like we said, everything ties back to that honey-loving bear at the end of the day. It all comes back to the silly old bear. Well, Matthew, that's about all the history I had on this attraction, but when I was going through my research, I did stumble across kind of several just random odd facts about the attraction and kind of Easter eggs in the ride that I wanted to share because some of these really blew my mind, and I am going to appreciate these things a lot more about the attraction the next time I visit. Matthew, are you familiar with Paul Winchell? Does that name ring a bell to you? Not in the slightest. So for diehard fans of Winnie the Pooh, Paul Winchell is a pretty big name as Tigger's original voice actor. Oh. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up now is that the characters for the original attraction here were all voiced by their current voice actors at the time the ride came out, except for Tigger, who was voiced by Paul Winchell. Oh, wow. Essentially, what happened, and this is kind of some interesting Disney history, this legend that voiced Tigger all the way from the 60s through the 90s was replaced with voice actor Tim Cummings for the Tigger movie that was released in the year 2000. Essentially, Paul was replaced at that time and kind of forced into retirement by Disney when the studio considered his aging voice to be, quote, too raspy to play Tigger anymore. And so this storm kind of happened when they were making the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, and Imagineers heard about this, and they insisted that Paul reprise his role one last time for the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which is so sweet. It's just a really touching story from Imagineers that they brought in this legend to reprise his role one last time. Especially from a sense of, you know, 
people can still go hear that, you know, movies will last and everything. But like that ride, he could go ride that ride if he wanted to. He could take his kids if he's got family, he could take the and let them ride it. And, you know, that's that's an extra level of, yeah, you could put a DVD on, you know, that sort of thing. But that's an extra level of like, wow. And it's one final bang that you get to go out on on top. And I love that. For sure. And, you know, when you talk about one final bang, there's a rumor. This isn't confirmed, but this this hits me if this is real. One of the classic catchphrases of Tigger is TTFN, Tata for now. Well, rumor has it when Paul was recording his last session for Tigger for this attraction, he went out on the one liner TTFE, Tata forever. Oh, man, that's enough to make grown men cry. I, I got tears in my eyes right now. Like that's if if that's real, that's incredible. And I want that audio released so I can listen to it forever. <laughs> You're going to go to bed every single night listening to Tata forever. Just in the dark going to bed. Goodbye, Tigger. <laughs> oh, man, that's too good. I love that. It's technical things like that that really build out an attraction for me and make those things really, really special. And so that was a touching thing for me to read and kind of get that history behind Tigger's voice on the attraction. That I feel like is kind of a lesser known fact. One of the facts about the ride that's kind of more mainstream that you actually hear brought up a lot more with the Haunted Mansion is about a specific effect that they use on the ride that I wanted to touch on for a minute. The part of the ride with Pooh's Nightmare where you see Pooh rise from his own body as like a, a ghost going into his dream state is actually accomplished with a little effect that I think you're familiar with, Matthew. Do you know the name off the top of your head? Uh, Not off the top of my head, no. This is called the infamous Pepper's Ghost Effect. Oh, that's right. Okay, now that you say it, sounds familiar. I knew it was in there. You, you're familiar with the Pepper's Ghost <laughs> yeah. Effect. You hear it all the time with Haunted Mansion, but I feel like you hear it less talked about with this part of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And so I'm not going to dive in deep on this. Maybe we'll go into a more technical aspect of it when we dive into the Haunted Mansion in the future. But essentially, just this kind of like a quick two-liner. This is basically a technique where they use a pane of angled glass, and it's an optical illusion that involves placing that large piece of glass at an angle in front of a brightly lit stage room that reflects a ghost object from an adjacent dark hidden room. And when I'm saying this over audio, listeners are probably like, what? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. I heard the effect explained to me and it didn't make any sense. But there are some really great YouTube videos out there for the Pepper's Ghost effect that really walk you through a visual representation of how this all works. And it is fascinating. It's a simple effect. It's a pretty easy effect to do. And man, I've got to say it's it's effective. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree that when we do cover, because um, of course we're going to have to cover Haunted Mansion, we'll definitely want to dive a little bit deeper into that. But yeah, it's a very, very cool effect and it allows you to do some really, really interesting things without like blowing the immersion, without having all these extra cables and wires and everything or any expensive holographic craziness. You know, it's pretty simple to set up from that same point and some amazing effects. For sure. Moving from technical things about the ride, I want to talk about some Easter eggs that are here. And I'd like to start with the ride at Disney World. We talked earlier in the episode about how this attraction replaced Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at the Magic Kingdom. 
Matthew, are you aware that there are two nods to the original ride that still exist in the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh? I am not. Tell me more. There are actually two nods to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride that are actually in the exact same room of the attraction. Oh, wow. When you are riding through, it's as your ride vehicle enters Owl's Room. The first one that you're going to see is going to be on your left, and you have to quickly look to the left right after the doors open and you enter the room. And if you look on the wall, you'll actually see a picture of Mr. Toad handing the deed of the property to Owl. Oh, wow. Which I thought was just a really neat nod of literally passing the torch on to the next person for the property of the ride. I think there's that. And then it also, the art styles are so similar that it doesn't stand out. Like it, it looks like Mr. Toad could genuinely be in, you know, that world and live among them and it wouldn't be anything out of place. So that's that's a really cool like Easter egg. For sure, yeah, because it's essentially, you know, an animal amongst other <laughs> other animals. Right, and, exactly, right. And like we talked about before, especially with their roots being with the same illustrator, he, he fits right in. And the second one is actually kind of another passing of the torch. It's going to be on the right side of the vehicle as you're going through Owl's room. When you look on the floor right behind the armchair, you can actually see a picture of Mole with Winnie the Pooh. And it's said that this is to be depicting Mole moving out of the home to make way for Winnie the Pooh. Oh, I just love seeing that kind of camaraderie and passing the torch on from one attraction to the other. And that's one thing, um, not to spoil future episodes, that I'm excited because as we're learning more about these rides, I think we're going to realize that there are a lot of like little nods in that for you know what came before. So that's a really cool thing. And Matthew, it is incredible that you say that there's all these little nods to small attractions that we didn't notice because did you know that Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is not the only dead attraction that has a nod to it in the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh? That does not surprise me, but I don't know what it would be. The attraction in question, the nod to it, is actually in the ride queue. As you're entering the queue, you'll be met at the front with Winnie the Pooh's own home that small children can go in and out of the doors and and explore. Well, if you go inside the treehouse, above the larger door, you can see engraved in the wood, there's a picture of the Nautilus, the submarine from the ride 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, that officially closed in the Magic Kingdom back in 1994. But Matthew... Let me ask you this. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride was previously in this building, so it makes total sense that there would be a nod to that attraction here. But 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea wasn't on the same property. It was in another part of New Fantasyland. So why would there be a nod to the Nautilus on the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh? Does it have to do with Imagineers working on both? In a way, I suppose you could say that, sort of, kind of. <laughs> Do you think that Mr. Sanders' treehouse was always in front of this ride queue? I would have to say no. With the leading question I'm asking, obviously the answer must be no. Well, you would be right, Matthew, and this this blew my mind because I did not remember this at all. 2004 was when the submarine was finally demolished. And in 2005, on the same land as the original lagoon for 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, a playground in a character meet and greet area called Pooh's Playful Spot was opened directly across from the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And this treehouse 
was originally part of that area, and so Imagineers incorporated it as a reference. And so it wasn't until 2010, when the spot closed to make its way for New Fantasyland, that Disney actually used a crane to move the 120-ton tree a mere 150 feet to the ride entrance to help connect it to the ride with the enchanted forest of New Fantasyland, and thus the tiny Nautilus moved with it. I love that so much. That is, that's some dedication, and I love when they reuse props like we've talked about, and that's a huge thing. For sure. And, and you know, I would also be remiss with reusing props. There is also one cool nod at the attraction in Disneyland. That version of the attraction, as I mentioned, replaced the Country Bear Jamboree. Nods to that old attraction can be found there as well. When you're crossing out of the Heffalump and Woozle Room and approaching Pooh in the Honey Hole, if you look up and backwards behind your ride vehicle, you can actually see Max, Bluff, and Melvin, the deer, buffalo, and moose from the Country Bear Jamboree. Oh man, that's a that's a real that's a good tie-in right there because those guys are hilarious. One of the things that I also found interesting, it's not the animatronics that were used in the ride, but rather it's the stuffed heads of them that were used in the mile-long bar that was adjacent to the Country Bear Jamboree. But I think still a really cool piece of history. Oh yeah, for sure. It also kind of has a tie to the Country Bear Jamboree and the fact that the animatronic of Pooh and the hot air balloon in the Heffalump and Woozle Room is actually operated by the exact same mechanism that lowered and swung Teddy Bear's swing in the Country Bear Jamboree. Got it. Yeah, so it was kind of a neat recycling that they reused basically one of the mechanisms that worked in the old um, in the old attraction. Now, Matthew, I got to close this out with uh, two more quick facts. Shoot. With the ride at Disneyland, most of the attractions, the other versions of the attraction, have honeypots as their ride vehicles. Well, the one in Disneyland, the vehicles are actually beehives, or you could call them vehicles, if you will. Oh my God, it, they set us up. <laughs> you set us up, they set us up. Somebody set me up for this, and I can't believe I fell for it. I love vehicles, and while I would love to call them all vehicles, they actually all have their own original names on the right front bumper of each ride vehicle. And one of the other kind of cool, fun nods with this, two of the ride vehicles, Winnie and Woozle, the two that start with a W, are actually the only two WAV vehicles or wheelchair accessible vehicles. Oh, wow. They both start with a W. So it's a nice little nod to uh, the acronym for is. the accessible ride vehicles. Yeah, that's really cool. And we love uh, accessibility on this podcast. We love when rides, especially out of Disneyland, since that park is so old. So. That's a really cool nod. For sure. And the last fact I have, and this is a fact, <laughs> question mark. I couldn't confirm this, but it was too cool to not talk about. We all know that Disney goes to great lengths to enrich their immersive experiences, including adding artificial smells to attractions. Some, like Burning Lumber on Spaceship Earth or Orange Groves on Soren, are some of the more obvious uses of this smell vision while others are a lot more subtle. Matthew, can you think of any smells that you've experienced on Winnie the Pooh? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but if I had to put money on it, I would say potentially honey. Well, you'd be right on the money, Matthew. And, you know, my experience aligns with yours. I can't really remember ever smelling honey, 
there are so many sources online that cite the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh using a honey smell on the ride and or in the gift shop. Though none of the sources I could find were primary resources from Disney. Allegedly, the 2003 Birnbaum Guide cites this, but I wasn't able to confirm that. It was just somebody posting on a forum. And, you know, I'd love to open this up to the audience. Tell us about your experience. Did you smell honey on this ride? Do you have a primary source from Disney that tells us definitively that you can smell honey on this ride and it's not just in our heads? Please let us know, because honestly, this is keeping me up at night and I need an answer. (laughs) And if you don't know what honey smells like, then you're at the wrong podcast. So I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. Well, Matthew, the only other thing I have to say about this ride is kind of tying it in with hidden Mickey's. And I don't want to dive too deep into these, especially with us being an audio only podcast. I think hidden Mickey's are best observed. I can just tell you some of the ones that I think are the coolest to find on this ride. On the attraction at Walt Disney World, you can find one on the inner border of the doorframe in Mr. Sanders' tree, the same place that you can find the Nautilus. You can find one, it's a Mickey with a little sorcerer's hat, as a leaf on the book page from the blustery day at the start of the ride, and one of the most expertly disguised ones. In the first room of the ride, at Kanga's feet, there's a little hidden Mickey on a radish sign in the middle flower pot at Kanga's feet. That's adorable. There are several at the Disneyland attraction as well. And honestly, I would encourage y'all to go over to the YouTube video by Dizzy Bears to kind of check those out. There's kind of a mix of some that, you know, a hidden Mickey is kind of a generic enough shape that some of them could be a hidden Mickey. Some of them might just be accidental. Right, right. But nonetheless, I think it's still cool little Easter eggs to find. Well, Matthew, did you learn something new about the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh today? I learned a lot about this ride. Um, that had a lot of, like I said, I didn't have a huge uh, Pooh background growing up, so it wasn't the biggest ride for me the first couple times I went. But you know, I do remember riding it and having a good time. So yeah, this is uh, really interesting to see all the different tie-ins, the different you know lore behind it. I, I love it. So yeah, this is awesome. Awesome. Why? Well, I, I certainly hope you learned something new about this. Bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 fun ride. I can't wait to get back there and give it another try now that I know all this. But next time I go, do you have any personal tips on riding this ride based on your research, based on what you've got? What do you what do you got looking for that? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest tips I would give about this one is personally, I think it's one that is worth just taking the plunge to wait for since you do have all of the immersive aspects of the queue that kind of help entertain you while you're waiting. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would say if you've never gone on this ride before, I would kind of be sad to have you miss the items in the queue. So I would say just kind of take the plunge, wait for it, maybe while you're waiting for another of your Genie Plus experiences to go through. Of course, that tip from earlier, don't wait in the queue if you've got the brewings of a headache, because, man, those drums will uh, <laughs> will drive that headache uh, full to completion. But otherwise, there, I don't really think that there's any great time over another one to go check out this attraction, other than if you did want to skip the queue and go on it one last time, you know, trying to jump on that ride five minutes before park close is always going to be a good one to kind of 
slip in there and have a really short wait to get on. I think that's going to be a common uh, suggestion for a lot of these (laughs) episodes that we come across for sure. For sure. Well, that cue went faster than expected. We hope you enjoyed the episode and learned something new about this wonderful ride. I know I sure did. As always, we'd love to hear your experiences with this attraction or any fun facts you have. Feel free to join our Discord server and join the conversation or shout at us on Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop a comment on our YouTube channel. All those links can be found in the episode description below. Now, go catch that ride and we'll see you in the next Q for 2 TTFN, ta-ta for now.